Hey, it's your fellow revolutionary, and these are Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. This episode is entitled Crash But Don't Burn. Learn more at talesoftherevolution.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and anywhere you find podcasts. I remember as a young man, and especially as a high school-aged teenager, I had something of a fascination with the idea of crashing. The kind of crash I'm talking about is the one that happens in human life and experience. It can be something like a stock market crash, or when your trust fund runs out, or when a spouse runs out and commits adultery. Here's our first storyteller, who I am simply going to call Rediscovered Woman. It was pretty freaking brutal, I gotta tell you. I'm so sorry. You know, it's interesting though. It is part of life and it's a part of being in God's kingdom because, you know, happiness is never promised, right? Right, right. But peace is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I certainly would never bash him, but it was very difficult. Obviously, I had biblical grounds, and I tried for over a year to work it out, just to no avail. With that comes a lot of um, introspection, a lot of um, questioning God, Sure. you know, as to why. I felt a little bit like David, you know, out there in the wilderness for a while. But since then, I just feel like I have rediscovered me. So those things happen, and you just think that that is your world. You know, God just comes in so, so strong, and 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 yet so tender, and shows you that actually the best is yet to come. So, you know, it's kind of a twisted little wicket, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it it really was a stripping time for me. But all that to say, all the women that I counseled and all those years of walking alongside and hearing sympathetically because of everything that I had to go through, uh, now I can be empathetic. And it's, it, it takes you deeper when you're ministering, mm-hmm. for sure. Because I was completely taken by surprise. You could have come to me and said, I'm going to give you a million dollars. I'm going to tell you that your husband had an affair. And I said, there's just no way. I would never even take a million dollars because I was so in love with my husband. I was so, I was so dissatisfied in many, many ways, but was completely devoted to him. And so this whole thing rocked me to the very core. And I, I couldn't get over it. I mean, he got involved, Jason sort of trolling in these different hotels all this time. You know, he was dabbling and speaking with women and going to their rooms, but I had no idea. I literally had no idea because I trusted him with everything. And then he began to flip it on me, pull up all kinds of trash that wasn't even true because he had to justify what he was doing and rationalize it. And... It was like a movie. It was seriously like a movie. All that to say, I kept searching for God, saying, where are you? 
I would go back to him and say, are you not the God of promises? You promised me, you know, that I was your child and that you would take care of me and you would be there for me. And, you know, you go through this whole line of, have I not served you? Have I not loved you? Have I not been devoted to your people? So why would you allow this to happen? And I just couldn't understand why he didn't, my husband didn't love me the way I loved him. And it was a long time of me of walking through that and realizing that for many years, my husband was Jesus. Because I was so deficient in so many areas in our relationship that I clung to Jesus because I could not look to my husband to fulfill that role for me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it was really a process of stripping it down. And like you said, you know, people who look at Christianity and they say it's so fake. And I would say, amen, it is fake. In many cases, you know, the reality that we are not in heaven yet, but yet we as Christians sometimes look around and think that I should be living like I am in heaven, but this world is so fallen mm -hmm. and filled with pain and confusion that for many people, it doesn't matter what your religious background is, the bottom line is it has nothing to do because I don't care what, quote, religion you're involved in, it will leave you dissatisfied every time. And it's about finding this God-man, Jesus Christ, who was sent for a purpose to redeem that which was lost. And so it's not just, hey, I'm a Christian now. So my life is good. <laughs> it's good because I'm saved. It's good because he's good, but I'm still not good. And I'm a constant work in progress. It's pressing forward, looking towards perfection, looking towards that time of, of heaven where there will be no weeping, there will be no gnashing of teeth, there will be no more pain. And I will be embraced by a God of perfection and love. And I have often said, you know, this life is a dress rehearsal for heaven. Dress rehearsals are not the real thing. It's preparation for what's to come. And that's the way I look at life. It's preparation. And with that comes a lot of pain. But if I don't have pain, and I don't, sounds kind of crazy, if I don't embrace the pain that's being brought to me sometimes, literally, you know, like Job, I mean, when we read about him and you study Job, you know, we think, oh, the devil was after Job. But when you look at scripture, what does God say? He says, have you considered my servant Job? Because, you know, the Lord before then said, where have you, what have you been doing? Where have you been? And he says, I've been roaming the earth, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when God almost pushes Job to the forefront and says, have you considered my servant Job? So, yes, sometimes the devil comes to attack, but sometimes he's invited in. It's, it's not 
because God loves a good freak show that he's up there wringing his hands and getting a kick out of watching us slur. You know, it's, it's because there are things in us that can only be brought forth with great fire. And as a believer, you know, like Job, he said, though you slay me, yet I will still praise you. And that's the point that I got to. And it's not out of a martyrdom. That's where the religion stops and the real relationship and the real trust and the real recognition of my life is not my own. And this is not heaven. This is a dress rehearsal in preparation for what's to come. And that's not easy to say because you can't say that until you've been put through some junk. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when I went through what I went through, I literally felt like my skin was peeled off. I was that raw. I remember being in my room at about three o'clock in the morning. You know, I hadn't drank alcohol for years because I was in the ministry and it's not, oh, you shouldn't drink, you should drink. It's not about that. It was my own personal conviction. I just... As I was in the ministry, I just never wanted to cause anybody to stumble. And I thought for years. But when I went through all of this, oh boy, I was found at the bottom of a bottle. Because I just couldn't deal, I couldn't cope, and I thought that that was the way I was supposed to. You know, just get numb again. You know, I'm thankful I didn't fall back into, you know, drugs and smoking pot and you know, doing all those things that I once did way back when, once upon a time. But I did start drinking. And I remember crying for most of the evening, cried myself to sleep. And it was in pitch black in my room. And I woke up as I was doing again and again and again, every night for several times a night, just aching. Like my whole body ached to the core. I ached, and there wasn't anyone or anything that could soothe me. And I remember waking up, and it was as it was as if God was right there in the room with me. And it was the most bizarre thing because I had the most amazing fragrance enter my room. It's like if you t- if you took a blend of jasmine and roses and just kind of blended them together, and the fragrance was so strong it woke me up. And the Lord just said to my heart, Daughter, I am with you and I am for you. I am with you and I am for you. I am with you and I am for you. He said it three times. And I just burst into tears because what happened is my heart resonated. I felt my heart just pumping so hard. Because it was his familiar voice, that quiet voice in my soul. And you know, when somebody tells you the truth and you're open to it, as painful as it might be to hear or to walk through it, you knew this is truth. And I was so, I, I just felt that the shackles had just just dropped, and this grip that the enemy had on my mind, 
which is where everything starts, the battle there. And in my spirit, it had just been loosed. And I knew that that was the truth. And I'm telling you, it was from that moment on, I wiped the tears from my face. I embraced that as my rock of truth in knowing I'm going to be okay. There was so much ahead of me that I had to face and walk through and deal with. But now I felt a new sense of strength and a new direction and hope for the first time in a very, very long time. And I knew that my marriage was done. I knew that I had to walk away. And I also knew that I did absolutely everything in my power to reconcile. And I needed that. I needed that for my own soul. Thank you so much for sharing your story. We will hear more on a later episode. The Crash But Don't Burn episode continues with our next storyteller. I met him on my old stomping grounds in Orange County, California. So here he comes from the West Coast. I'll let him tell you more. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus. I'm an attorney and president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. Many of you have heard of the Pacific Justice Institute. We're a nonprofit legal defense organization. By God's grace, we handle more cases on the West Coast defending religious freedom and parents' rights uh, than virtually any uh, other organization in the country. We handle hundreds of requests for assistance every year completely without charge. We also have a radio show that I uh, host called The Dacus Report. It's on 80 stations and a commentary uh, on 460 stations across the country. But the, the real story is not what's happening now and what God's doing by His grace through uh, the ministry that I founded back in 1997. But actually, the boot camp that I went through to be able to do what I'm doing now, the critical boot camp, and that boot camp was in the form of an auto accident. I was 16 years old. I was driving to school one day and on a, on a country highway in Texas, and uh, the, uh, a motorcycle was passing cars as I was approaching towards the top of a hill, this motorcyclist hit me head on in my lane, and his motorcycle, a little Opal GT, looked like a, a, sort of like a Corvette, only smaller and cheaper, but it went smashing right to my windshield. The motorcycle not only smashed through my windshield, it also smashed through my skull. It was a very gruesome accident. The left side of my face was smashed in, the jaw was disconnected on the left side, and uh, but the temporal area of the skull was actually pushed in, and. Uh, they had to actually cut a, a large hole out of my skull about the size of a silver dollar just for the brain to swell. About a third of my brain was hemorrhaging. The, the left side, which deals with logic, reasoning, analytical thinking, speech communications. Uh, it was a very terrible accident. I was rushed initially to Plano General Hospital. They looked at me and they said, send me to Parkland. And uh, the first question was, was I going to live? I was in intensive care. And, you know, it was sort of touch and go. Uh, when you have that kind of a severity of, a, of an injury, it's, it's uh, very uncertain. The doctors told my parents, they said, quote, your son has had major brain damage. Um, even if he lives, he still could be a vegetable. You may still have to pull the cord, end quote. That's the starting point. 
that's where things were. Uh, while I was there at the hospital, God began to do a great work. And uh, it's really interesting because, you know, beforehand, you know, I, I was a Christian. Yeah, I was a Christian. I read my Bible every day. Uh, I listened to Christian albums, you know, Imperials and Amy Grant. And, you know, uh, I had Christian friends, taught second grade Sunday school at a Bible church in, in Plano. It seemed like everything seemed to be moving just real smoothly and, and everything, but, but God knew my heart. He knew he, he to build faith, he, he, I needed to go through this, uh, this, this trying time, and that's just what it was. When I was there you know, trying, uh, in, in intensive care, I was struggling just to live, literally. And uh, I remember overhearing a, a med student ask a, a doctor, do you think he's going to make it? And I assume it was a med student because doctors know you never talk that way around patients, but they just, you know, they just assumed I was, I was out and I wasn't hearing anything. Uh, but I remember hearing that. And um, I also remember experiencing a, a peace that passed understanding the presence of the Lord. Jesus was closer to me than if he was, than if he was holding my hand. And I can't explain it any other way than that, except that he was right with me in a very, very close way. And I had a peace that, that like I said, a past understanding, nothing like I'd experienced before. And people say, well, you know, it was probably the Demerol, probably the medication. No, I've had surgeries. I've had reconstructive surgeries and other surgeries. I know Demerol. I know the medications. This was, this was not a drug thing. This was a Jesus is with me thing. And in fact, uh, I thought after that, God was just preparing to take me home. And that this was just that assurance that he's with me and he's going to take me home. So when my mom came into the, the room the next day or two days later, uh, my brother told me that I, I told her, I said, that, you know, Mom, I'm going to die. And she started crying. I said, no, you're not. No, you're not. And then I, I said, don't cry, Mom. I'm going to be in the kingdom. Don't cry. And, of course, that was just too much. She left the room. My Aunt Betty in Bakersfield had had a word from the Lord that not only was I going to live, but that God was going to heal me and restore me miraculously. It had to be miraculously because you can't, based on where I was at, there's, there's no medical explanation for the, the kind of recovery that I was going to have. So anyway, so I, I, I did live. They, uh, they had to, you know, a number of surgery things. They had to reattach the jaw. Uh, they, uh, there was reconstruction of the face. They had to take a piece of my hip bone and graft it to my, my cheekbone and then, heart, then later hard silicone. They had to actually remove the eye from the eye socket to rebuild the eye socket. They thought I was going to have be blind in that eye. If not, I was going to have severe damage to the eye. As it turns out, after the swelling went down, I had 20-15 vision in that, in that eye, that left eye. Then in, in my hearing, I lost my hearing completely in my, my left ear. Two, two months later, my hearing came back. I had, had normal hearing in that ear. And so God began to show me bit by bit in the healing process His grace and intervention. Um, initially, though, uh, as far as my brain was concerned, I couldn't remember very well. Uh, my short-term memory was shot. I asked my mom a question, and then 15 seconds later, I asked her the same question. Uh, also, I couldn't remember my younger brother's name at first. So I had real, material, significant brain damage, and I was on homebound education. I had a nurse 24-7, and uh, also I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't go through my regular sleeping cycle. Uh, I had to be propped up, sleep all the time propped up for the drainage of the fluids from the brain and keep the pressure off. The, the brain had literally swollen out. You could physically see it swollen out on the left side from where they'd cut the hole for the brain to swell. And it was it was difficult. Uh, cognitive skills were very difficult uh, for me. I was on homebound education, like I said. 
reading, um, you know, learning algebra two from a textbook on, and uh, I would be uh, mentally exhausted. The doctor said, Brad, you know, as the swelling goes down the brain, you want to treat it like a muscle. You want to stretch it. You want to push it to exhaustion. And that's just what I did. So I would study and study till I was mentally exhausted, put my head down on the desk or the table for 10 minutes and put it back up again and I'd go back to work and I'd go back to work and I'd be mentally exhausted and rest it and go back to work. And uh, so it was very arduous. It was a lot of hard work trying to um, to reactivate brain tissue as the swelling went down. Uh, it was also tough in terms of my, my weight. I was I didn't want to eat. So I was down to about 116 pounds. I was like six foot one at the time. I did not want to eat. And uh, so they worked hard to, to try to stuff me up, if you will, and a lot of biscuits and gravy and things like that. So it, uh, so I gained my weight back, and I, I couldn't shower myself. Um, I was so weak and, and skinny and unbalanced, and uh, so they had to uh, had to be bathed and shower, had to be showered. And and you know the, the idea of walking from my room to the kitchen was a major accomplishment. Then out to the mailbox, and then to the end of the block and back, and just working myself up, working my way back up. It was. Um, it was a lot. It took a lot of work. Now, moving forward, uh, I went back to school after five months, and uh, school was very difficult. I was making C's and B's instead of A's and a few B's. I'm working my hardest. Um, that was my junior year. My senior year, senior year, I continued to work hard, challenge myself. I took AP English, AP History. Uh, they didn't want me to. They didn't think I was up to it, but I begged, and they allowed me to. Uh, I ended up with um, the highest GPA of, of my life, a 4.0, by the end of that, that year. I ended up going to uh, Texas A&M University where I got my degree in finance. Now remember, the left side of the brain, that's the, whole, that's the one third of the brain that was damaged, that left side. That is deal with logic, reasoning, analytical thinking, speech communications. And yet I was a finance major, put myself through school undergrad, and I got a, a, a 3.86 in my major uh, using that, that left side of the brain. And then I worked a couple of years with a, a company, Electronic Data Systems, uh, a year after that, after graduating, and then another year uh, working for U.S. Senator Phil Graham in Washington, D.C. as a legislative assistant, and then put myself through law school. I think one of the top 20 law schools in the country, the University of Texas, and uh, graduated the top half of my class, which was my goal. And I talked to the neurologist and asked them, you know, he, he reviewed my progress, and he said, the only explanation I have is that you must have been a genius prior to your accident. That's the only explanation for this kind of a, of a comeback. And yet I was never a genius because when I was in California schools, uh, I never qualified to be in the Gateway or, or Middle Gifted Minds program. To, to qualify for that, you have to have a, an IQ score of 140 or above. I never had that as a child. However, three years after my accident, I did decide to go ahead and take an IQ test uh, out of curiosity. And this, the score that I got on the IQ test was exactly a 140. So God made it very clear that he did do a work, and something else he made it clear to me was that is that it wasn't about the focus shouldn't be on me, but it should be on him. And that uh, one thing I learned in that accident is my identity in Christ. When God takes everything away from you, you know your 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 looks, your strength, your cognitive skills, everything that is any material worldly value. There's only one thing to do: either you you mope in depression and and throw yourself away, so to speak, and give up, or you cling to Jesus. And that's just what I did. I clung to Jesus like a little boy clings to his dad. And I, uh, I clung to him, the word, I had the word read to me. And, uh, and, and verses I've heard over and over before in my life uh, that I'd, I'd read, it, it came alive with depth and clarity. 
And God blessed that humility when I realized it was my identity was was I was in Christ. Uh, it's very paramount to what I'm doing today. My identity is not what I do on radio or TV or anything else. It's who I am in Christ. And the key question is, if those things are taken away, would I collapse or would I still have an, an identity? And, I, and the answer is I would because of that boot camp and because of what God taught me. Um, I also know that at any time, uh, God could, those neurons that reconnected could disconnect. And it's by His grace that they don't. And I'm very grateful for that, that, um, that every day is, is, uh, is by His grace that I live. Uh, also, He taught me a number of things at that time of re- in recovery. One thing He taught me about was His love for me uh, and how great His love was for me. I was a 16-year-old boy with the thoughts of a young 16-year-old boy, and, and yet God still, uh, you know, he, he loved me. And, um, and his grace is, is not something you earn. It's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. My Aunt Betty taught me that. I really understood that. I didn't deserve healing. I'm not entitled to healing. It's not something I can demand from God like a spigot. He and his grace and his love out of who he was and who he is decided to do that, not because I earned it. And also he taught me about humility. I used to think as like, you know, being awesome and just not bragging about it, sort of, you know, it's sort of a high school mentality. But humility, I realized, is giving glory where glory's due, recognizing that without God, I am nothing. With God and in Christ, I have everything. But without Him, I am nothing. Humility is giving glory where glory's due. And then also about His sovereignty. That uh, the action I went through, people say, oh, it's terrible we went through that. No, that was a part of God's plan for my life. People say, how can you say that? Well, uh, when I was recovering, I remember reading about Joseph. Uh, he said, uh, to paraphrase, he said to his brothers, you, you know, you didn't sell me into slavery, but this was God's work, you know, and for God's will and his glory. And the same way, that's how God works in our lives. And that's what he taught me about my life and how he intervened at different times in my life. Since then, I was just, I can see that um, he is playing a very active role. We don't always see it. We don't always feel it, but he is there and he is with us always, um, even to the end of the age. And uh, to understand that is, is uh, liberating at times, especially when you're undergoing lots of uh, challenges. That's real basic and important. But he also taught me about his power, that he is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, not just theologically, but practically. He is a God that can move mountains, that can do miracles, and can change lives. And uh, that's what he did with me. He, he displayed his power and his, his miraculous work beyond the explanation of science that is absolutely... Um, incredible to see and uh there is something that, that does hang around with me that didn't hang around before and then i get these kind of head attacks i call them they're not seizures but the endorphins build up on my scar tissue on the left side of my brain and they build up and build up and endorphins will make your body feel good when you're jogging for example well they build up and build up and then about every other month they're released and uh about a 45 second warning you know to get my head down and uh, my adrenal gland starts pumping out real fast, and the heartbeat starts going, and I get this euphoric feeling, and then I have to lower my head down to keep from passing out. And I always thought, you know, God, why didn't you take this away? So it make my story nice and, you know, perfect. And yet every time this happens, every time, it's, it's like a Passover. It's like um, I'm reminded of what I went through. Uh, the spirit of humility just over, overtakes me. And it's, it's what I need. God knows that I need that reminder so I don't get caught up. Um, I don't forget where I came from. I don't forget my, my heritage, if you will. 
of where I was and what he brought me from. Otherwise, it's so easy to get caught up in your own self and thinking about yourself. So these are real, actually, blessings that I have. And um, if I get my head down, I don't pass out, so that's good. But but it's sort of like that thorn, if you will, in the flesh that is, is a part of the perfecting process that God has in my life and that he uses in my life. You know, anyway, so God continued to work, and Pacific Justice Institute was born. It was, uh, I had very little resources to move on. I gave God a number of requirements. You know, I was scared. You know, I need a free office space, free computer system, keep me on the radio stations for free. Uh, there were two at the time. And uh, we had to be in the black in three months, and I just had 5000 to pay for a secretary and stationery. And, uh, and then it was, that was it. And God came through miraculously and raised it up. And the face that he had given me from going through my accident was played a key role in being able to step forward to give him the opportunity, the chance to show his, his grace and work in a different way in starting a nonprofit organization. And as the organization grows and as it challenges, he continues to stretch my faith uh, at times. Sometimes I think, well, Lord, you know, um, I'm, I'm done. I, I think my faith is great where it is. I don't need more stretching. But that's just a part of growing as Christians. We're going to have hard times. But it's through those hard times, it's through those boot camps that we really grow and that God really stretches us and works in our lives for his purpose. We're justified solely by faith in Jesus Christ, completely justified, and we're completely restored and, and redeemed through faith in Christ. But the sanctification work is a, is a part of the ongoing process as Christians. And we can't go it alone either. And there's some there's key Christians in my life, key Christians in our church. But that's a, a process, and as Christians, I think we have to expect that in our lives, that boot camps will, will, will at times happen. And uh, because we really can't grow without those times when we have to exercise our faith and put our faith in Him and, and put our trust in Him. If you're listening to this story right now, and uh, and you've had some hard times, or you've had some situations where perhaps uh, you haven't had a healing, and, or, and you're, you've had some, some disabilities and things, you know, it's uh, recognize that it's, it's not about what we don't have, it's what we do have. I think it's God challenges us all not to put our focus on, on our deficiency, but put our focus on what He's given us and how can we use that for His glory. Remember, I remember looking at myself in the mirror, thinking after my accident, God, why did you just take me home? I'm obviously no good for you down here. Why did you just take me home? But the neat thing that God taught me was that He has healed me and restored me exactly where I need to be for His glory and for His purpose. No more and no less. Rest in Him. That was the message that God put in my heart and uh, my mind to no longer put the focus on me and what I don't have, but put my focus on Him and how He wants to be glorified in my life. Not by the world standards, but just by His standards. I know an elderly lady, she was a sort of adopted grandmother. She passed away. She was blind. She couldn't do anything at one point. And I said, just acknowledge God. Can you say, Abba? Just acknowledge God. And she said, I can do that. And, and she prayed for a while for people that she couldn't pray anymore. I said, just acknowledge God. It's just being faithful to acknowledge Him and glorify Him with what, what He's given us, whatever it may be, and um, not to value ourselves by the world standards, but just to know that He loves us unconditionally where we are, and He wants to be glorified through us by just still simply being obedient. And that's what I hope and pray by God's grace. I will finish the race in the end until He takes me home. Hopefully this has been an inspiring uh, message to some, an encouraging message, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, most importantly, uh, you don't have that relationship, and you're going life alone, I strongly encourage you just to surrender your life to the Lord, acknowledge you're a sinner, knowing he's, he's, He died on the cross for all of your sins, and, um, and that He's ready to become not just your Savior, but become Lord of your life, 
and really take the reins of your life and walk with you through life from this day forward for eternity. Thank you, Brad Dacus. Find out more about him and the Pacific Justice Institute at pacificjustice.org. It's about that time, the end of the show. But don't let it crash and burn your day or night. Just go to talesoftherevolution.com to find more stories. Download any episode you want. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere you find podcasts. While you're at talesoftherevolution.com, be sure to sign up for the e-mailing list. You'll get access to exclusive downloads you won't find anywhere else. Guaranteed. It's all found at talesoftherevolution.com. Follow us on social media, facebook.com slash talesoftherevolution, on Instagram, at realjasonvreaky, on Twitter, at jasonvreaky. That's V as in victory, R-E-E-K-E. And you know, the real victory belongs to the greatest revolutionary of all, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Thank you for listening to Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. This episode was entitled, Crash But Don't Burn. Until we meet again, tell somebody about Jesus and show them his love as you live the revolution. <laughs>